Welcome podcast listeners. I am really excited to introduce to you today, Melissa Crawl. Um, Melissa and I, before we started recording, we're going back to when we first um, met each other. And it has been more than two decades, I'm sad to say. I'm glad to say I've known Melissa that long. <laughs> Time goes pretty fast. And the one of the reasons that I'm excited to introduce Melissa to you is that she is someone in my mind that every time I see her, she's just kicking it in terms of career and things that are interesting on a professional level, but also on a personal level, while being very real about it. Um, just kind of an all-in-all amazing person, in my in my humble opinion, Melissa. So could you just take a couple of minutes and share with folks a little bit about your background, and we'll talk about some of the things you've gone through your transitions a little bit as we go. Okay. Well, I'm a licensed social worker, which is how I choose to identify myself. I have a, another friend in the field who always says introduces herself as a professional nurse, and I thought that's a good way to help uh, keep our profession, you know, out there as a, as a true profession. So I've been a social worker since 1992. I've lived in Reno now 30 years. So, uh, that obviously becomes home, uh, not where I grew up and not where I'm from, but, um, I definitely love where we live. Didn't plan to stay when I came to UNR to go to college, but, uh, there are a lot worse places on earth that you could choose to settle down. So I've had a variety of fairly non-traditional social work types of experiences. Most of my career has been either as a medical social worker or in the nonprofit field. And nonprofit is where my heart is and where I love. So, And that's actually where our paths first crossed. Yes. Melissa came in to run and bring up, level up um, an organization that I had been running prior to that, a little bit prior to that, um, that dealt with child victimization, child mm -hmm. assault prevention. And that's where our paths crossed, even though I think, as we were talking about, we'd probably met each other professionally prior to that, correct? Yeah, correct. So when I met you, you were in child advocacy work. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking when I found out you were actually a social worker and in a medical setting, I'm thinking, well, how does that work? Mm -hmm. You know, so what drew you to that kind of work in the first place? I think um, I was fortunate, probably one of the things I think I was most fortunate in my career in doing my internship with school, uh, which was required, one of the requirements in your last senior year in social work, I was very fortunate to work uh, literally from the ground up, helping build a nonprofit agency with a great mentor who taught me a lot. And so I learned early on what um, what I like about nonprofit, the nonprofit world is you can be creative and you can be flexible and you can create programs or, or interventions or do things that you can see making a difference fairly quickly. Um, I don't think I've not ever had a traditional job. Like I said, I've not worked for the state or the county and, and I admire, um, my folks and my friends that work in the trenches doing that every day. But I feel like for me, systems like that, that are larger and harder to move or harder to move the needle are not where my my heart lies. So I had been a volunteer at CAP and uh, knew the current executive director at that point, who was another young professional who's now running things in our community also, and just felt like it, it was a great organization, had a great mission, and it was something that I wanted to give a try. So 
please share a time where you were going through a change or a transition where you may not have um, actually either planned it yourself, it came upon you, or maybe it was something you said, I'm going to do this, and you had no clue how to do it. But how did you move forward in that? That probably was that my time at CAP was one of the most challenging and unexpected. I um, have said publicly, and this wasn't any one particular person's issue or fault, but I felt like I was coming in to, you know, a stable organization that had a lot of support in history, which it did. My running joke is that I feel like a little bit like I was hired to drive the Titanic and we were going to hit the iceberg. We just didn't know exactly when. What it taught me was, you know, um, mission and passion are wonderful, but it takes hard work. It takes commitment. Um, We had a a very um, dedicated board with really big vision of what we wanted to be, but we were a fairly small um, force of time and money and, you know, and resources. So really took stepping back and evaluating what did, what was the most valuable, what, um, what could we continue to offer and how, and, um, and then talking to people about, um, maybe not being everything to everybody and having some of those tough conversations. And I think that's for me been not just there, but in a lot of my areas of work that I've chosen and and things that I do is I don't know that it's a skill, but people have told me, I mean, I just, I think the ability to bring up the things that people don't want to say sometimes or don't want to talk about the elephant in the room. And that was, you know, that was the hard part. So what's also interesting beyond um, being able to talk about the tough stuff is that you were also able to say, what might we need to let go of? Mm -hmm. Right. So if you've got this this desire to have a bigger purpose or impact, sometimes we can't take everything with us. Right. So how do you, in your life, or whether professional or personal, when you're going in a new direction or you know a change needs to be made, how do you determine which things to hang on to and which to let go of? Do you have a particular thought process or filtering mechanism? You have to, everybody has to be honest about what they can bring to the table and what they're willing to do. And I think we all have dreams or we all can think up all kinds of creative, you know, things and directions to go. Um, Not to sound corny, a lot of it has to be about mission. You know, if you have a very specific focused mission, that doesn't mean you have to do everything that everybody else isn't doing. You know, we need to concentrate on being realistic of, you know, how much time do we have? How How many resources do we have? Um, I think in nonprofit, we tend to, you know, we're all competitive in the way that the grant funding and fundraising dollars are limited. Uh, so don't go after things that you don't want to do well. That's like probably my biggest philosophy is I would rather do small things and do them incredibly well than do big things and do them half turkey. Or half assed. Half assed okay, is what I was going to say. <laughs> you have no idea what the look on her face is like. What do I really say here? Um, it's okay. I will edit out anything much stronger than that. It'll hear the... Do you take that philosophy? So I hear that in your professional life, folks wanting to be all things so they feel relevant, but often that actually makes you less powerful because you're spread too thin. Mm -hmm. I think about going, you want to go a mile wide or a mile deep, Mm -hmm. right? And have real impact. Do you take that same philosophy in your personal life when you're trying to figure out you want to take on a new challenge or do something? Or how do you think about all of the things that you enjoy doing and then something new coming in? 
Life is always a balance, um, you know, and I don't know how. I think as we've gotten older, you know, you you look at things as they change over time, and I I think of things that I prioritized or took on as a challenge 20 years ago that sometimes I'm not sure why I did or I didn't know how I didn't I guess you didn't know what you didn't know obviously but I'm not sure exactly how to tackle that in my personal life we do you know me I have a husband and a great relationship and we've been able to encourage each other and try things that we didn't ever think would be on our radar about gosh it's been eight years ago now um, I have never been athletic. I've never been, um, you know, I wasn't in sports in high school or anything like that. And I decided that my girlfriends and I wanted to um, run a half marathon. We trained for and ran a half marathon in memory of a friend who had died from cancer. And if you'd have told me at any point that I would do that, I would have thought you were crazy. But like many other things, you know, you have to set a plan and you we had to figure out how to get there. And I had, I think probably the biggest thing was a team. We joined team in training and um, a team and coaches that knew a lot more than we did and taught us a lot. And, and then I inspired Pete, and he did the same thing the next year. So did, Now, did he become part of your team? Did he come into a different group of people and then catch up to you guys? Yeah. Or? He watched um, my girlfriends and I and uh, my one friend in particular. There were several of us that started, and then one that couldn't finish the training. She ended up with pneumonia two weeks before the race. But um, he her, my friend Leslie and her husband and Pete all came down to the, we ran in San Francisco and watched us. And he became inspired um, like we did with the survivors and the stories and the people that were there. So then he joined the next season of team and training and Leslie and I mentored and mentored a whole new bunch of friends that we made and uh, created in our running tribe. So, And you're still doing that? We are. Yes, and we've learned to pair that with uh, now sort of our adventure with travel. We, at least once a year, and sometimes more than that, pick a race that we train for, because it's good to have a goal. If I don't have a goal, I run in circles, basically. Um, and uh, then we try to travel somewhere new and do a new uh, run each year. So. so thinking back over the last three years, maybe, where <laughs> have you traveled to run? Most recently, ran in Orlando, which was awful. The humidity and the heat are so different than the desert. <laughs> um, but we got through it. We got done. Uh, we've run in Chicago. Uh, we've run in Monterey. Uh, we've run twice in Texas. Gosh, I think our next one is probably going to be Portland. The next race gets to be Pete's. He just uh, had a big birthday, and so his it's his goal for the year. And then we've set some bigger pictures that we'd like to do, maybe some international races, too. I was going to ask mm -hmm. if you're doing anything international, because yeah. what a great excuse. <laughs> yes. Get those passports ready, <laughs> yes. baby. Let's go. Yes. How, and how long do you run? Half marathon? Yes. Marathons? Yeah, thir half, 13.1. So. You said half awfully quickly. <laughs> half. Yes. Everybody told us once we ran a half, we'd want to run a whole, and neither of us have been bitten by that bug. We've done, I think we've each done 13 half marathons, and then we, um, I've run the, the Odyssey uh -huh. here, the Reno Tahoe Odyssey twice, and Pete was on a team with me once, so... Yeah, still not much over that 13-mile mark um, <laughs> of, is interesting. <laughs> no Tough Mudder, no triathlon, just sticking with what, I, what I'm what comfortable with. <laughs> well, that's pretty big. It is. And have you met people that you never would have met through that? Definitely. Um, we've made several friends that we were just talking. I was talking with one, you know, texting the other day because she's since moved from here. And 
uh, we've met in several places. Oh, Washington, D.C. We did the Nike Women's Half Marathon in uh, D.C. twice also, which was amazing. And yes, we've kept in touch. And then I think that's part of what events are nice. Running is can be a very great solitary you know, party. You can go out and clear your head and do all those things that we know to do to take care of ourselves. But running, I miss my running tribe from t- team and training because it very much became almost like moving therapy. You know, you're talking about, you're processing your day, you're processing your week, you're working on the problems at work that you can't figure out and you, you have those friends that help you with that. And then even more so, and we've done some long distance bike rides too that are group oriented. It's just amazing to be, you know, walking next to somebody or talking with them. And um, especially the races that are around fundraising, a lot of them, you know, people have on their jerseys what they're running for or um, that they're a survivor. And I remember the Washington one, I, I saw the survivor and it took me a while to realize I was seeing the same person because we were running fairly the same pace. But, you know, every time I saw her, I said, thanks for being here because you just is, if you can do it, I need, I got no excuses. I got to get my butt moving, you know. And um, at the end of the race, she came up to me and she's like, thanks for talking to me along the way. And we didn't talk about anything special, but it was just, you know, I think of her face when I think of that race. That so. connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes your world so much bigger when you actually connect in a different way with people mm-hmm. than just our day to day, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we have this exchange because we just come across each other versus mm-hmm. having a goal together and mm-hmm. um, a goal together, but apart. Mm-hmm. It's kind of powerful. Definitely. So how do you, um, cause I know you also work full time. Mm-hmm. You are now the director of clinical operations at a major health provider here mm-hmm. in our community, which is no small feat. Mm-hmm. So how do you have time to do that and to train and guessing that you take care of your, your health? Mm-hmm. I can, I can tell by looking at you, but also I've known you, right? How do you balance that? What do you do to do that? You know, what everybody else tries to do, <laughs> try to t- learn learn the things that, you know, take care of your mind for you. I don't, um, I'm not a religious person, so I don't, you know, I know a lot of friends that, that pray or do those kinds of things, but I do think there are a lot of spiritual things that are similar. You have to learn to calm your brain, um, or at least I have to calm my brain because, it's always racing. Um, we travel, like you mentioned, and we work hard, play hard. So we, you know, try to um, get away as much as we can. Camping is, uh, when we go camping for us, as much as we love the outdoors and a lot of times we'll take our bikes or we'll be hiking, there are days all we do is sit in, the, you know, the uh, anti-gravity chairs and maybe read a book and not do anything. You know, just allow yourself that time in that space. Music. I'm not a musical person. I don't play an instrument and you really don't want me to sing today, but... Um, I have a mic <laughs> try. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, music is, uh, very soothing to me and it's funny things. Um, I know, you know, my, what my husband does and, um, we worked opposite shifts for gosh, about eight years. We were on the same on swing shift for about eight years too, but it was funny when he first came back on day shift and he would come home at night, that first night he comes home and he flips on the TV and I'm like, like, what, what is this? You know? And so then the second night he came home and he flipped on the TV and I'm like, mm, this is not what the dogs and I do, you know, for the first couple hours, we just need some quiet music. Um, you know, put her around the house, make dinner, wait for you to come home. TV's later. I, you know, I need my brain. I need to have some downtime. So it's funny how you figure out the things that take care of you that you didn't know you were doing that take care of you too. So. Until they're interrupted. Yes. Until somebody else steps in them. Well, it's funny. I mean, when I travel Mm -hmm. and someone will say, well, did you see that show? And I'm thinking, what? 
And I realize I'll be in a hotel room for four days and never turn the television on. <laughs> when we bought our first camper, you know, they're, the salesmen are showing you things, and they're like, look, and this is where you can hook up the TV and cable. And I thought, who watches TV when they go camping? I mean, that's the point for me is to not be connected. And um, A lot of our trips, we try to plan at least a trip a year where we don't even have cell phone. We don't, you know, we don't turn our, especially if we go international, you know, we turn them off. I, you have to, it sounds dumb, but I mean, you do have to disconnect and it doesn't, I don't just mean electronically. You have to disconnect from everything that's weighing down your brain and weighing down your heart. And, and that was one of the great things for me and when we traveled last year is being, me personally being too cheap mm -hmm. to pay for self. Mm -hmm. I was like, uh-uh, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. If there's an emergency, we're reachable. Yes, call right? the resort or find me. Right, <laughs> find me. The people who need us have our itinerary. They right. can reach us. So the only time we had connectivity was when we were actually in a hotel with Wi-Fi. And mm -hmm. it was like, I'm thinking, oh boy, it only yes. took a couple of days to not care. Right. Like, well, this feels good. And you're actually just looking and talking to the people around you. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how that really does kind of lower everything mm -hmm. in your body. And it doesn't take long to get back into the swing of it when right. you get back. Right. So I totally agree with you on disconnecting. We did that in the Caribbean the first time we were going on a sailing, a sailboat trip. And we went a few days early. And so we were in a hotel and we were waiting for our friends to come. And it was when Hurricane Sandy was moving mm -hmm. up the coast. And we knew we had gotten to the islands and we were fine. And it was north of us. But we started, as you said, didn't think about it, but flipped on the TV and it was on the news. And we had told everybody we weren't going to be in contact. But I was like, we should probably let them know we're okay. <laughs> We haven't blown away down here, but you know, we had no, no, we weren't even paying attention to what was going on to the rest of us. So we, you know, texted a few, texted work, emailed mom, let everybody know we were fine and we'll we're, see them in we're 10 days. We're okay. <laughs> yes, we're not underwater. That's just the world we live in, mm -hmm. right? But I do think taking a break is good. You know, one of the things we do too that. I think we fell into early on in our relationship and I've gotten, we've both gotten really strange looks over time. We very much are independent. I mean, I know you and your husband have a fairly independent relationship too, but we travel alone. So not just, um, girl trip, guy trip, which we each have our set of friends that we try to do that once or twice a year, but we we go off for a weekend by ourselves. And so, um, I think that has been critically important for both of us to be able, I mean, one, to learn to be alone with yourself is a fun challenge, but, um, you know, just that ability to take care of our own space, have the trust in the other person that, you know, their space, they're taking, they're doing whatever they're doing while they're doing it and not have to worry about everything that you left behind and to be able to just get to have that time to yourself and make sure you have that. I think that's been really important for us. That's a very powerful lesson, mm -hmm. you know, and I know I've got a couple of friends who do things similar, but not many, mm -hmm. you know, not many. And I also have friends who say, I can't stand being alone. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking that feels like prison to me, mm -hmm. you know, because then what you choose to do is dependent on, can you get someone to go with you or not? Mm -hmm. You know, so I think your example is a really great one to be able to do that for yourself and for your partner or your mm -hmm. friend, whatever, to have that same space. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a grow thing to do. Definitely. A very cool thing. Did you always know when you were young that you wanted to go in this direction? Uh, yes and no. I, I knew I wanted to work with people and I wanted to be in the medical field. Um, I remember when I was six having surgery, telling them I was going to be a doctor when I grew up, which is, you know, I was having a conversation the other day with somebody that there's so many other professions that you learn about when you grow up that don't have uniforms, don't have, um, titles that you're used to hearing. So you don't realize how many opportunities and options there are out there. Came to college, like 
many people do, decided I didn't like math and chemistry and didn't want to go to school for 12 years before I could actually maybe talk to another human being and try to help them. So then when I was in college and had a, you know, that first crisis of what do I want to be when I grow up, I, the only other thing I'd ever like to do was write. And so I got into journalism and that was a very fortunate turn. Um, it's served me well in anything I've done. I mean, from grant writing to editing and so many things in nonprofit, you are doing all of the steps. So I know some graphics and I know some, you know, marketing skills and things like that. I got a scholarship, which was helpful. And, um, and then I joke, that's where I met my husband. So that must've been why we were, you know, I was in journalism. And then by my senior year, I was also really fortunate. I took a very generic social science kind of, uh, curriculum. So I had found, I'd taken my first social work class and very much loved it and, um, was fortunate that I could flip-flop my senior year and all I had to do was finish my social work classes in order to be able to um, change my major major and my minor. So that's kind of how I fell into it. And then from there in my career, I've wandered even more broadly, I think sort of towards the public health um, aspect of seeing not just helping individuals one-on-one, but also helping communities and helping shape the bigger picture things, policy and things that have a greater impact. Not always a quick impact, but again, a greater impact. Do you see yourself having more time to do that now in your new position? And I'm transitioning in my role at work currently. So I've been the clinical operations director for about 18 months. Um, and that's been sort of a fine balance of boots on the ground grass, you know, in the in the trenches with my people and the folks that are there doing day-to-day healthcare and social services and behavioral health and pharmacy and nutrition services um, to we're also building out our care coordination department and, and building out some of those broader services. So I'm transitioning into the, I'm going to be the director of population health management, which will help build our care coordination out, um, help focus on again, preventative and broader issues for our patients. Um, one of the things I'm most excited about and I've loved through my career is I'm going to help strengthen we, our education. We have a lot of students and a lot of different types of um, internships and externships. And so working with uh, them more broadly and making sure we are putting good educational foundation in place. I love to mentor and we have a lot of opportunity through our organization. So making sure um, the students that come to us get the best experience they can. Well, and your organization has grown tremendously over, well, over the time I've known it, but even more so in the last maybe six to seven years, mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. You know? the, we were went through a merger and that was literally, and that was before I was here, but literally overnight, the two organizations merged and went from about 75 employees each to 150, so double. A big part of the growth is what I first came to uh, this organization to do as a project manager. We opened three health centers in um, 18 months, which doubled the number that we had. Um, along with a lot of the other, you know, ancillary services and growing those that go along with that. If you are speaking to someone maybe in their mid-teens getting ready to think about college or their career, and maybe they don't have a clue, maybe they do, (laughs) what advice might you give or offer based on what you know today? I think sort of what I just alluded to is, you know, being open to there's so many things out there to do. You don't have to have it defined. You don't have to know when you're 18 what you want to do every day for the rest of your life. And I hope you don't know at that day, that point. I don't even remember who gave me the advice, but, you know, figuring out the one thing you don't want to do, not necessarily a mistake. I, I wouldn't want anybody to, I don't think anybody should have to pick a life or a career or a job and be stuck forever and not, um, not love or not at least like what they do. Um, so being open to new changes, take a class in something that you've been 
interested in, but you, it wasn't in your high school curriculum or it wasn't on your honors curriculum and you weren't allowed to take it, you know, do something different. And there's usually, for most of us, there's time. You know, there's more time to be able to, to find those things. So I would say explore and, you know, find find what um, makes you makes your heart happy, what makes you smile. If, it, if you smile thinking about it, then you're probably going to enjoy it. So Oh, that's a good gauge. That's a, that's a really simple, mm-hmm. low-cost gauge. Like, <laughs> is that even interesting to me? Would I, am I smiling or frowning? Mm-hmm. Or nothing. <laughs> Are you reading anything of interest right now? I'm always reading. I swear, like, ten things at a time. So, um, what not, I love to read. It's probably one of my favorite um, hobbies, if you will. But I'm all over the board. If I'm reading for pleasure, it's typically fiction. And I have quite a few authors. I read everything they do. And I, Pete always says, you read so fast. Because when I'm reading for pleasure, I don't necessarily read for retention. So I, I do read f- quickly. Um, but I love, like, biographies and autobiographies. And, and listening to other people's journeys and, you know, figuring out what they're doing. And um, I, on vacation, we laugh sometimes about what our choices are for relaxing books on vacation. And um, Pete tends to be better about reading the, you know, leadership or those, um, not self-help, but things that, you know, maybe are more career-oriented. Career and I tend to be reading more about people's stories in their lives. When we were in uh, the or in the Bahamas in April, I read um, Tom Brokaw's book about when he was going through melanoma, and it was just fascinating. You know, you think and I think it's always interesting when you you see famous people. You know, he's not a celebrity per se, but I grew up watching him on the news, and to see what you know different parts of their people's lives are and their struggle. And of course, his was with not he didn't struggle with healthcare. He was very very fortunate. He was in the Mayo system and um, one of the New York systems because he lives in New York City. So he got very good care, you know, just everybody's experience. So, well, and it doesn't make it any less scary, right? Nope. Healthcare, no healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's still really scary when you get a diagnosis mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That isn't. Yeah, it is interesting. I love asking people what they read because, first of all, I'm always looking like, oh, was it a good book? Should I read that mm-hmm. book? I'll ask people on an airplane okay. or, you know, sitting in the airport or traveling. Is is that a good book? Or you know, what's that about? Or I think I've gotten many a good recommendation that way. Me as well. Um, And I'm grateful for it because if I had to just think, I know the things I typically gravitate towards, but Mm -hmm. they all relate to what I do, Mm -hmm. you know, so they're learning books, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So when when someone says, well, do you want to read a novel? I'm thinking, I do, but I don't have a clue. And I get the greatest books. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I really do like knowing what people are reading. It's a selfish question on my part. <laughs> well, my favorite book of all time is called um, Here If You Need Me. And it's one that I did one of my favorite things. I was just wandering through, you know, the bookstore and reading the jackets. And, you know, sometimes you pick up a book and it's as great as the jacket makes it sound. And sometimes it isn't. But it's about a gal who um, was married to a police officer and her husband was killed in the line of duty. And she went on to become a chaplain with mm-hmm. the main um, police department that... Um, they're broader. It's like their state patrol. So they um, are. They would go out on you know search and rescue in the in the forests and all different kinds of things. And it's a fascinating story. And um, so it's a personal her. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's her story. And okay. she's written two more after that. Here, if you need me. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. I do have a, a like a five day little break coming up. <laughs> and the book I'm reading now is really heavy. It's an mm-hmm. actual physical book. I don't have this mm-hmm. one on Kindle. And I'm debating. It's good. Do I pack it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So. 
I may have to buy it on Kindle. We but. do a lot of, um, I'll look for books, especially like on clearance, that I don't think I'm going to want to keep for any reason when we travel, because I still don't like to read electronically. I feel like I have to do a lot of that for work, so I don't have, I don't read on Kindle or anything like that, but I'll take five books on a trip and only come home with one because I'll leave them for somebody else to read or, you know, leave them in the hotel and hope they go somewhere else. So I appreciate that for when I'm the person you yeah. find in the hotel. <laughs> but since my girlfriend gave me this book, I, oh, yeah, you I, can, I don't think I should say, sorry. You can't leave those behind. I Definitely not. Feel like bringing it but home. that sometimes affects what I choose to take too. So I don't have to leave the wrong book behind. Oh, it does. So what is next for you? Do you have a new thing that you're going after right now or... So the, the new switch with work will be um, the big work challenge. Um, I'm highly debating going back to get my master's finally because I've been very fortunate there haven't been barriers for me that I haven't been able to talk my way into the job I wanted and then figure out how to do it once I've gotten there. But I do feel like there could be in the future, and I think there's some value to me for for continuing. You know, we're on the short, my husband's on the short end of his career and looking at what he wants to do in retirement. And we're both too young to not do something, but I think uh, maybe something less structured or, you know, something that gives us the ability to travel more, which if you talk to our friends, we don't have time to travel more. We always travel anyway, but, you know, doing the things that maybe blending that a little bit, maybe not working 60 hours a week, <laughs> every week. <laughs> I hear you, sister. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. But you're not being a very good role model because you're still doing it too. <laughs> well, not as of Monday. Mm-hmm. Changes, changes. Changes, changes. The last thing I want to ask you is just if people want to, to know more about what you're doing or the organizations you're working for, do you want to point them in a direction? If they So if they just want to know, well, what kind of organization merges and grows mm-hmm. and doubles and how do you survive that? And what is population health looking like in this sure. community? So I currently work for a community health alliance in our um, website is chanevada.org. Nevada spelled out, not abbreviated. Yeah, please come find us and find out all the great things we're doing. We joke we're the best kept secret in in town. Our patients know us. We've worked really hard um, in through the merger that we are an organization that has grown and changed and um, changed our philosophy in the way we uh, try to help. We try to help people and take care of them and, and uh, have broader services for them. So I think we're doing a lot of great things and it takes a lot of people to do that. So we, people want to come for a tour. People want to come talk or, or call me um, my work. I can give you my work number if, you know, people want to reach out to me at work. Um, and there's lots of, uh, lots of work to be done. So cool. We'll put that in the notes. Thanks so much for coming over. I know that um, it's not in the normal realm of things you typically do, but I just was excited for people to get to meet you and hear a little bit more about you and just the variety of things that you have in your life. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always good to see you. So well, there you we need to it. do that more often. <laughs> okay, schedule it. When you get down off of your 60-hour week. <laughs> right. So that's it for this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.